So we're in a series where we've been looking at this graphic for the last seven weeks. And for some of us, this graphic is our best friend. And for some of us, this graphic is our worst enemy, our nightmare. Because when we look at this graphic, this is what we're asking. Um, And this is what we're implying, that we live in the middle. That's your house. That's your um, apartment. That is where you lay your head down at night. And all these surrounding boxes are people in your life. Perhaps your neighbor, perhaps the guy at the corner, perhaps your coworker, perhaps the person who's sitting in front of you right now or behind you. And we're asking how connected you are to these folks. Like, do you have a relationship with these folks um, in, in, in an opportunity where you've been able to share your story? Maybe share your fears or your dreams or your desires or regrets. Have you had an opportunity to sit down across the table and just enjoy some food? Maybe you've had them over and you cooked something. Or maybe you ordered in. And I'd like for us to all hit rewind and say, for how many of the folks in our lives right now are we able to say we've done that with? How long have you lived where you lived? How many connections do you have there? How long have you officed out of where you office? Can you tell us their name? If you had to write down on a card their name, could you do name and last name? Could you tell us something that's not observable just by looking? Like, Could you tell us where they're from, where they grew up? Could you tell us maybe something they've shared about where they see themselves in a few years? And for those groups of people who are constants in our lives, regulars in our lives, for number three, we're asking, has that relationship evolved into a more intimate relationship? Into a, let me share my heart with you. Let me just be vulnerable. Let me open up. Let, let, me, let, me, let me cry. Because life is tough. Or, or let me celebrate. And, I, and we're asking, for how many folks can you do that? And we're hoping, obviously, to progress um, in these areas. We all have work to do. We all have room uh, of where we can grow. And, and we're saying that we want to go from strangers to acquaintances um, to then friends. We, we want these relationships to be progressive because we would trust that we're there for a reason. A solid reason, which is not just to have a whole bunch of friends in your Rolodex, because all of us use Rolodex, right? Um, but what kind of impact can we make in the lives of these people? And how can we be impacted as well? So it, it seems that, that when we ask these questions, it seems a little bit weird because it doesn't happen so often. Because when we look at that graphic, there aren't a lot of... Uh, numbers that we can fill out with this information. So we're saying it's kind of weird because it doesn't happen that often. It's an anomaly. But according to Jesus, which is the plumb line for everything we do at Love and Motion, it's the guide. He says that it works. He says that that's what we were designed for. So we're getting this from what's called by the Bible the most important commandment of all. We get it from Mark twelve thirty one, and Jesus says this. You ready for the simplicity? He says, love your neighbor. He says, this is the most important commandment, and it's connected to love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. He says, there are no commandments as important as this. 
So when I hear that, there can be one of two reactions, I believe. I can feel really stressed out because he's giving me one thing to do. Or I can breathe in, have joy, because there is one thing that he's asking us to focus on. The greatest commandment of all, love your neighbor. So what's left? Is it what the romantic comedy portrays? Is it what the billboard portrays? Is it what the magazine portrays? Is it what your friend told you a couple nights over dinner? I mean, is that true love? Perhaps. Is it the gift? Is it the diamond? Is it the hard work? Is it the note? Is it the text? What is love? Perhaps it's a combination of all those things, but for the sake of the series, I think we've got to all be on the same page. I mean, what is love according to Jesus, right? Not, not according to Pollo, not according to you, not according to you, not according to you. Like, if we're reading this verse, what kind of love is Jesus talking about? And it's a kind of love that comes from a root word, agape. And agapao is a kind of love where you put the needs of others before your own. Think about that kind of love. It is a love where you put the needs of others um, before your own. And he says, this one thing is the most important thing of all. So, today's uh, title for today's message, if you're taking notes on your smartphone or on one of the note cards that's close to you, um, titles for today's message is Two-Way Love. Um, and here's my opening statement is that loving our neighbors builds infrastructures that allow us to be loved as well so again maybe soak that up for a moment the way God built this and designed this is for us to be taken care of and to be taken care of extremely well. He's saying, love, put the needs of others, but we're going to see as we continue through today's message how beautiful that works, that an infrastructure, if you will, is being built around us. And it can be built around where you live, where you work, and you play. Today's Bible verse comes from Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read a couple of verses. And then we're going to apply this. And then we're going to pray that it does something in our hearts. So um, the context of this Bible verse that I'm about to read is Jesus out from town to town. Hanging out with his best friends. Which the Bible calls his disciples, his followers. And he's going from town to town doing what Jesus does. What does he do? He does the work of the Father. What's the work of the Father? The work of the Father is to go and teach and to uh, heal people and to speak to people in truth and love and grace. And his work is to embrace people that others have rejected. And his work is to set the captives free. Captive from ourselves, captive from our anxiety, captive from the expectations of others, free from our failures and as Jesus is traveling from town to town this happens he's at a home and he's teaching and there are people listening and then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat 
they try to take their friend inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat and into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, so here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. There is a person who is a paraplegic, who is paralyzed. Not sure how long he's been paralyzed, but we know this. He's not able to even stand up on his own. How do we know that? Because he's lying on a mat, on a stretcher, if you will. And he's got a couple of friends who heard Jesus is in town. He's probably like down the street that way. So his friends come in to help him, to love him, to, I would contend, to put the needs of, the, of him before their own. They pick up this man on a mat. They carry him. Don't over-romanticize the Bible, by the way. Try to picture this. Thousands of years ago, dirt streets. There's a man who can't even stand up. He's on a mat, a.k.a. a blanket probably. And he's got some friends now. They heard about Jesus and there's some hope. I want to go there. The friends have to muster up the strength to travel. They can't call Uber to get him there. They can't put him in the car. They muster up the strength to walk through the um, unpaved roads and they carry him to the house where Jesus is teaching and doing what Jesus does. And when they get there, there are so many people in the place that they can't bring their friend in front of Jesus. So what do they do? Do they stop and say, we'll catch Jesus next time? No, it says that they go to the top of the house. And the way houses were built back then is not the same way that they are built right now. They're made of mud and straw. And these folks somehow managed to cut open a hole through the mud and the straw and they somehow develop a pulley system to lower the man down so that he winds up being in the middle of Jesus. Chew on that for just a moment. There's people, there are crowds in a home. Jesus is speaking. All of a sudden you hear some noise, you have no idea what it is, you wait a couple of minutes and now there's a man being lowered on a mat who is paralyzed and you've probably heard and seen him in your town. And now he's being lowered before your eyes. Think about the vulnerability of that man, of the paraplegic, of the paralyzed man. Think of him just telling his friends, I don't care what you need to do, but could you take me to him Perhaps some embarrassment, perhaps some risk of rejection. So what is this two-way love that we're talking about today? How is it possible that me and you loving your neighbor and putting the needs of them above your own, how is it possible that that could create an infrastructure where we're loved and cared for? Well, let me talk about some obstacles that would keep us first of all, from being able to expose our vulnerabilities. 
when we are autonomous people, and my definition for autonomous is somebody who says, I do as I please, when I please, and nobody has any rule or reign in my life, so get out of my face. That is an autonomous personality. And the gauge for all of us in that is this. When somebody shares some wisdom for you, you automatically get defensive and say, get out of my face. I'm doing things the way I want to do things. When somebody comes lovingly beside you to share some advice on how things could perhaps be best, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I know. So that's a gauge there for all of us. And when we're autonomous, very naturally, we reject any kind of help. And the second enemy to us being vulnerable is a self-sufficient person. And a self-sufficient person tends to say, all I need for life is within me. Pollo, I know I'm definitely not autonomous. And I might be a little bit self-sufficient. Here's the gauge. When you're drowning, when life is difficult, when you're hurting, like when your heart is aching, you will curl up and say, I've got the answer myself. That, that's the gauge. The gauge is, I'm drowning in life, by life's problems, and instead of me picking up my hand and saying, someone please help, we say, I've got it. And this is a theological term that's it's incurvitus, and it's basically man turning to himself to resolve problems. Homo incurvitus per se. Very simply put, it's this. I resolve all my issues. I don't need anybody. And I'm drowning and I can't breathe and the last oxygen bubbles that I have are literally what I see now. My fingertips are the only thing you can see. And you turn inward and you say, but I can do this. Here's a major problem with this. Is that when we tend to be autonomous and when we tend to believe that we're self-sufficient, number one, it's a huge lie. It's a huge deception. And we automatically push away from what we were created for. You know what we were created for? Community. We're created for community. And in being autonomous and self-sufficient, that pushes away our design, our original design, by the way. Not a man-made design. But think about this for a moment. You're created for community today. You were created for community when you were born. And when our life reflects this type of mentality and heart, we're rejecting our original design. 
It's similar to the example that I use often about the fish. The fish inhabits in water because the creator decided that the water is where the fish can flourish. It is not a restriction for the fish to remain in the water. Think about that. The creator is not saying you are a bad fish, hence you stay in the water. The creator is saying this is where you will flourish. This is what you need then there could be joy. But many times we take what Jesus says to us and we're like, that's a restriction. He says to do it like this and is it to make life miserable? Absolutely not because he wants the best for his kids. He says, love your neighbor because I am the creator and I designed you to live this way. He says it's not about being self-sufficient or autonomous because you're rejecting the original design. I know you need community. Helen Keller says that when we're only one or a small group, we can do very little. But when we're a group of folks, we can do so much together. Maybe you don't like Helen Keller. MLK Jr. says that we can learn to live as brothers or we perish as fools. Maybe you don't like MLK Jr. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ says. The Son of God. You ready? Love your neighbor. Why? Because that's what I designed you for. Because I know what's best for you. But I don't have time. And I've got a busy agenda. And I don't have time or money to go share a bag of Doritos with my neighbor. I want to sit there and watch Netflix by myself because this feels good. We're drowning. What if the life that you're looking for, that fulfillment, let me put it like that. What if that fulfillment in life that you're looking for is sitting next to you right now? What if you're surrounded by it with your neighbors and with your coworkers? Think about that. I'm not making a statement. I'm throwing out a question for all of my smart folks. What if the life that you're looking for is living next door to you right now or across from you? What if the life you're looking for is the coworkers you have right now? What if the people who can meet and satisfy your needs, that infrastructure that I'm talking about, are in your life already? Again, not a statement, a question. Chew on it. What if you're created for community and there is life in abundance, more than enough community? What are we doing through the series called Weird? Why have we been sitting here for seven weeks speaking about love your neighbor? Is it possible that the designer, capital D, knows the best way for us to live? Again, question. But unfortunately, we tend to write our own instructions and our own manual and say, this feels better for me. A couple weeks ago, we were headed out of town and we saw one of those uh, Texas Department of Public Safety uh, billboards that are like electronic and they're flashing and they're like Amber Alerts and this and that. And there was a 
big old message that was in my face and it was blinking and it said, don't text and drive because there's been 1,954 deaths this year. And I looked at it and I said, that's not for me. You know why? Because it cut me because I'm a texter and I'm a driver and it's a bad thing and my wife tells me not to, but I think I can kind of get away with it. I'm just going to say, smiley face, send. And I almost pretended like it wasn't there. Think about how sad that is. I'm looking at it. There's so much wisdom in it. And I'm thinking, seriously, I almost did this. No, not for pollo. I urge us to not do that to God's word. That's for others, but not for me. I wish my cousin was here because my cousin needs this today. I'm actually going to send this link to my mom because my mom needs this message. Perhaps, but you know what? You need it today. I need it today. And that's why I would be 100% confident that this is why you are sitting here today. Could life go to another level of satisfaction and fulfillment because what you need is already next to you in your life. You just need to learn to engage. What kind of love? Others before self. Putting life on pause. Saying, I'm going to make time for those folks. I've lived there for three years. I've waved a couple times. I know what they drive. I have no idea what their name is. Don't know what they do. Don't know what their hobbies are. Don't know what their fears are. Don't know what their needs are. Love your neighbor, Jesus says. So here we go. How do we go from just being neighbors to being great neighbors or having great neighbors? How do we do it? You ready? You got to be humble. This is more difficult than it sounds. You got to realize that you've got something to give but you've got something to receive as well and that's almost a declaration of saying I don't possess everything I need I don't I don't possess all the education I need I don't possess all the resources I need I don't possess all the love I need I don't possess all of the satisfaction I need I don't possess all the encouragement I need. You've got to learn to be humble. I do need. I am in need. For some of us, depending on how hard our hearts are, you can't even fathom saying, I need dot, dot, dot. got to be vulnerable and in order to be vulnerable we've got to be courageous here's what I mean by that is that when we expose our needs and when we open up ourselves to others there is the very real possibility of rejection right there is a very real possibility that the person that you are attempting to love may not reciprocate It's just a reality of life. 
So it takes courage for you to be vulnerable. But again, we either turn into ourselves or we trust what he's saying and we will trust that even if that were to occur, that it's something that will help us and we go to the door next to that one and we love that other neighbor. And what if you keep loving whether you get anything from them or not? No strings attached, right? And finally, perhaps my favorite part of this is be hopeful. Just like a general question for all of us. Are you hopeful? Or are you extremely fatalistic where everything is bad? The weather is bad. The food is bad. The friends are bad. The folks who are here are bad. The folks who are missing today are bad. The co-worker is bad. The text message from the Department of Public Safety is bad. Like fatalistic. Somebody shares something with you and you're like, yep, you're going to die. But I just said good morning. You're going to die. I'm sure you know folks like that in your life. Here's where I'm going, kind of like a general, not even attaching this point yet, but we've got to hope that folks who may not be connected to Jesus Christ don't have. And our hope is that there is a better reality, that he is at work now. I mean, it's called faith, right? We're passerbys. And that's tough, especially for those of us who are going through something extremely difficult right now. But this is what the hope of a better reality is, is that no matter how tough life is right now, this may be as bad as it ever gets because on the other side of this, when we're in the presence of Jesus, it's going to be a whole different game. Revelation 21.4 says that he wipes away every tear. Think about that. Every tear, every hurt, every pain. That's the hope of a better reality, that we can sit across a table from somebody with the Coke and the Doritos bag or with the sushi and caviar. And we can say there is a hope of a better reality. That's being hopeful, not fatalistic. Because there's got to be something in us that shines if we call ourselves daughters or sons. So this is how I'll apply this last point to today's message. Is that when we go into these situations and we're humble and we expect that as we give, we will also be given and that as we love, we will also be loved because it's the infrastructure that is created. We're hopeful because when the relationship, when the love becomes two-way with each other, it builds really strong bonds. Think about that in your life. The times when you've been able to put all the cards on the table and when the other person has been able to put all the cards on the table and you've loved together and you've cried together and you've celebrated together, isn't it true that there's some kind of bond there that is different from all others? Be hopeful that as we follow the words of Jesus to love our neighbors that there is beautiful fruit that comes from it again what if 
What if that fulfillment of life is in that community with the person who's across from you, down the hall from you, at the corner house from you, at the penthouse, or at the shack? What if? So here's how we always close out a morning at love and motion. Here's the best news of all. That we can be weak because Jesus is strong for those who are weak. That we can have and be real with our messy lives because He did not come exclusively for those who are well and have it together. He says, I came for the broken and for the needy and for the people who are all messed up. That's the best news of it all. There is no other religion that claims this. I am a God who dwells among you. And instead of you having to rise to the top of the mountain to obtain, I came to the bottom of the mountain. I am standing with you in your pain. And in your pain, I reach down and I pick you up. We're like the paraplegic. And Jesus is a strong father who says, you are mine. Jesus, thank you for your love, power, wisdom, and grace.